many of us on the spiritual path are looking for exactly what our next guest writes about in her book, Lasting Transformation. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm here with Dr. Abby Rosen. She's a psychologist and director of Inner Source, which is a center for psychotherapy and healing in Annapolis, Maryland. And she's also the author of Lasting Transformation, which we are going to talk about today. Welcome, Dr. Abby Rosen. So great to be here with you, Connie. Thank you so much. You know, for me and for probably a lot of our listeners, it feels like we take one step forward on the spiritual path only to take two steps back. And it's like we're making progress and then something happens in life to knock us down and um, then we're right back to where we started or we're feeling stuck. And I just love how your book, Lasting Transformation, uses both uh, psychotherapy and spiritual tools to really get to the root of things that kind of take us away from shining brightly in this world. So thank you for that. My pleasure. So let's get right into the book. It's in two stages, right? The first stage is life lesson therapy. Talk about that a little bit, because that really gets down and dirty and kind of uncovers things that might be blocking us. Right. The book is actually, the title is an acronym for Life Lesson and Soul Wisdom Therapy for Inner Growth and Transformation. So it, it the transformational journey has two different stages. One stage is the first stage, it's a life lesson therapy, which really focuses on reversing some of the negative patterns of behavior that cause pain and problems in relationships. So the first stage centers on really strengthening our sense of self and refining our personality, which is made up of our body, feelings, and mind. And these chapters are based on a, you know, proven process that I've used with clients over many years for strengthening our sense of self, for being able to feel more self-loving and able to navigate in our relationships in healthy and conscious ways. And then we enter the next stage of the journey, which... I kind of think of this journey of life as a sacred journey. And I think um, if we could have gotten owner's manual on how to make this journey more effectively, it would have been a lot easier. And that is what lasting transformation really is. It's how we can navigate this sacred journey of our lives. So the second half of the book is all about learning our soul wisdom. There are tools that I teach of meditation and learning to connect with our intuition and having faith. And I think at a certain point in the process, we're able to go from focusing on ourself to how we can serve the greater need in yeah. more effective ways. It's so. kind of in alignment with Maslow's, um, what is that, the uh, hierarchy of needs, right? It makes Um, sense. It totally makes sense. Yeah. When we have, and I guess he said that when we have our early, our our basic needs met, um, then we can move up the ladder and and become more conscious. And then finally, we we come to serve others in the world, right? Yeah. I love that. So really an amazing and inspiring life is, is really possible for all of us when we can learn to balance that outer journey 
with what I call an internet, not an inter- internet, but an internet that internet. allows us to navigate life. Yeah, yeah. Self well, you- and learn our life lessons and tap into our soul wisdom. So that's so juicy. I love talking about this. Okay, so let's talk about stage one. We're in the process of sort of learning our life's lessons. Mm-hmm. And when when we're disconnected from and we cover up our true thoughts and feelings, we really, <clears throat> excuse me, we can't get to those lessons. So first of all, how do we know our life lessons? And then how do we know we're covering them up? <laughs> right, those are good questions. And it sounds like you've read the book really well. Oh, yeah, I loved it. Um, once we are on this journey, we get to experience how that there's negative behavior patterns that really cause us pain and problems in our relationships and in our lives. So we begin to see like there's this tapestry of our life and similar patterns begin to reoccur. And that taps us into, hmm, there must be work in them, their hills to be doing. So we get to really focus on what are those parts of us that are what I do a, a particular kind of work that I love called voice dialogue, relationships and the psychology of cells. And it's really transformative for people. It's fun, it's easy, and it's amazing. And what we begin to learn about is how we have certain what's called subpersonalities or primary ways that we relate in the world. And many of these ways that we've learned to relate happen because of our upbringing. We had to develop certain patterns to protect ourselves, to feel safe, to feel seen in the world. And they might have worked when we were younger Mm-hmm. But as adults, those very patterns that we developed are now causing us the pain that they were set up to protect us from. Can you give us some examples of what those patterns might be, some of them? and Sure. A big one is um, called the inner critic. Mm. And everybody can relate to that oh, one yeah. because I think it's the biggest part that most people carry. It's actually the only book that has Helen Sidrestone, or the authors of Voice Dialogue, Doctors Helen Sidrestone, and they've written a number of books on voice dialogue, and um, they wrote the foreword to this book. And The Inner Critic is the only book that, it's the only part that has its very own book written about it because it's such a big part in most people's lives. So, for example, I've been working with um, a physician, and she grew up with a very, very critical mother. And when we have critical parents, we often implode that message. So we have a part of us that will criticize and make us wrong and bad so strongly that it's hard to feel good about ourselves. Mm. Many people who grow up with a critical parent have an underlying belief that they're a failure. Because that's the message that no matter what they did, it was never good enough. Right. So how do we take the voice dialogue process and use it to sort of soothe that critic, that inner critic? Once, once the first step is to get to know these different parts, these what I call cover ups Mm -hmm. that have gotten set because everybody who has an inner critic thinks that that part of them is going to help them because it will criticize them before somebody else does. Oh, yeah. But in reality, it just beats us into the ground and doesn't let us feel good about ourselves or have any movement because 
we're afraid to move because we're going to be criticized. So the first step is to get to know these different parts. And um, once we get to know the part, then we're able to name that tune, as I put it, Mm -hmm. when that part is expressing itself. And embrace these parts, because all of these parts were set up for good reasons. But to realize that it's no longer serving us in our life, and to be able to separate from that and make a healthier choice. Okay. So for an, another example, you know, I talk about this. I have cartoons throughout the book. And one of the cartoons is of this client who came in who was a high achiever. And the only time that she would be able to stop achieving was when her secret slob would come in. That was the part that we identified. Oh, I love and that she one, would, yeah. Yeah. She would get depressed and she would, you know, walk around in her robe. PJs, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and we realized that the only way she could stop her overachiever from being out there so strongly is the secret slob would take over. And when she was able to separate from her overachiever and make healthier choices for herself and realize that she was enough without being an overachiever. So using her as an example, um, what kind of dialogue would you have with your secret slob and your overachiever? <laughs> what, what kind of dialogue would you have? to know these parts. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So we would talk to her overachiever, and she would talk about where she learned to develop this part from, that her, you know, mm-hmm. she had a critical parent. And if she was overachieving, then she was getting affirmed and acknowledged by her parent rather than criticized. And so for fear of being made to feel bad and wrong, she became, and that's how, that was one of her major subpersonalities. She became a strong overachiever and she was achieving a lot in her life, but she was exhausted and not happy. It's a lot of work keeping that up. And so the secret slob would come in and kind of stop her in her tracks. And we got to talk to that part, too. And that part, you could see in the cartoon, has, you know, robes on and slippers and rollers in her hair and was just sitting around eating bonbons on the couch and not doing anything productive. And that part took over. And once she got to know both of these energies in her life, she could name her overachiever and take a deep breath and separate and say, wait a second, that could wait till tomorrow. Right now, I'm going to go take a hot bath and take care of myself. And then as she allowed herself to make healthier choices, the secret slob didn't have to come in. So she wound up being less depressed, you know, not depressed at all, actually, and finding a greater, healthier balance. And probably more productive in her in her work as well, which was important to her. So simply being conscious of our life's lessons and these defense mechanisms and sub-personalities is really where we start. We just become conscious. Yeah. Exactly. And sort of love them a little bit. And and, and that's why um, Helen said you talk about embracing these different parts, mm-hmm. not making them wrong, but understanding how they're serving us or how they're how they were set up to serve us, but how they're no longer serving us. Yeah. So we evolve past them. So you say vulnerability is actually a strength. Right. So we get to the point where we're vulnerable. But then you also talk about highly sensitive people. I sort of resonated with that because... Um, you know, as an actor, as an artist, we're supposed, that's our job, to be vulnerable. And it's hard. Right, <laughs> it's hard right. to be sensitive. And um, I like that you that you sort of describe the highly sensitive profile 
because that helps a lot. And then you also talk about men in society being sort of at a disadvantage because to be vulnerable and be a man in our culture is not always rewarded. Yeah, men are called wimpy. Right. They learn messages of big boys don't cry. So they have to grow up feeling like they can allow that more sensitive, vulnerable part of them to be expressed in the world. And it's really a travesty in our society. Yeah, yeah, we have to work on that. But we are. That's what we're doing here. So there's so much more in this book. There's really practical stuff. At the end of every chapter, you have um, exercises that we can do, which I love. They are very practical and fun. So that's one really great thing. And you have some practical stuff about dealing with anxiety and depression also, which I think will help a lot of people. But I want to get to the really fun stuff, the spiritual stuff, because I don't know. I just like going there. (laughs) So... The The second part of the book, which is the soul wisdom therapy. So I guess when we've cleared out like all this human stuff that kind of is blocking us from reaching our highest spiritual potential, we're sort of free to explore our spiritual nature where we can really connect to the divine. So through we sort of align the personality with our spirituality, would you say? And that helps us become more whole in mind, body and spirit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's where we really can achieve some lasting transformation that you you talk about. You know, I was listening to Ajashanti. I love him. I just love listening to his voice. And um, he had he was doing a radio show, and he had some callers and some emailers. And it seemed like this idea of lasting transformation was was a common thread in this one radio show, which I was just listening to this morning, which is synchronistic because I was going to talk to you. And they were saying, gosh, I'm like, I feel like I reach this level and then I go to work and I lose it all. And um, how do I how do I just get there and stay there? But is that even is that even a goal? (laughs) As I was listening to what he said to people, which was really just kind of be with it, just be with it and feel it, which that's what they always say. But and what would wholeness say to this this feeling that you're having? So I think you're so right on with this. How do we even begin to um, cultivate this connection with the divine and, and our spiritual nature if, we, if we're just starting? Well, I think you just said a lot of really wonderful things. And I want to I wanna just reinforce that, you know, we are a holistic entity where we are our personality and we are our spiritual nature. And... Finding that balance between the body, the mind, and the spirit is the sacred journey of living life. And I don't think it's necessarily about losing, you know, like you were saying, they reach these wonderful states of experiences during meditation, it sounded like. And then they go to work and they lose it. I think it's not about losing it. It's about dipping in and each experience that we have when we come back out into our world and we are then reminded of the work that we're needing to do just makes it stronger and allows us to get more deeply connected to ourselves. And that's the process. It's not a goal to be reached necessarily. I think that's a little bit of a fallacy. That's such a human need is for us to just have this linear um, sort of ladder that we climb 
but right. but then I think it makes people disheartened mm-hmm. and feeling like they're a failure if you know they're not enlightened yet. Right. When each step of the way, we just get more and more connected to ourselves, and and that opens us to allow for our humanity. Yeah. And you talk about the importance of meditation in the book, and you give some really good ideas for meditations. So thank you for that. Yeah, meditation is always an ongoing try. I try to discipline myself to meditate, but you know, I'm sometimes I'm good at it and sometimes I'm not. But one of the things I really liked, you gave an example. I'm always like, like sometimes I feel like on this path, on this journey, I am rewarded with signs and synchronicities and um, little gifts. And you write about one. Can you tell us about the story when you were down at your beach house and you're writing and you had a little sign of your own, right? Right. And you write about it in the book. Tell us that story. Well, it's interesting because um, for years now, whenever clients graduate from therapy, I give them like a butterfly in different forms, whether it's earrings or wind chimes, some kind of wonderful purple butterfly. And uh, I was at the beach house in Delaware and there to really write work on writing the book. And I, it was in the middle of the winter and I had a fire going in the fireplace and all of a sudden, and there was no windows weren't open. It was the mid midwinter here, and all of a sudden, on my computer, like just really centered and straight, was this most gorgeous butterfly. And I was like, "Oh my God, where did this come from?" I had just taken a walk down at the beach, and I didn't even see any. I mean, it was winter; there were no butterflies right. out. And where did this appear from? And I felt like it was just a sign that um, I was coming to the end stages of writing the book. And it was the universe just trying to help me remember that I, too, am about to come out of the chrysalis and mm-hmm. become and let the butterfly. And actually, the cover of the book is a butterfly. Beautiful butterfly. I love the cover of the book. Yeah, it's so nice. That's pretty cool when we get signs. But we don't always get signs. We kind of have to develop, I think, faith, which you say is a sort of a byproduct from, from doing this work. It, it's, it is part, it, it happens along the way, but I do think that some of the practices that we can do in our life allows the space for those signs to come in. Mm-hmm. If we keep going at a pace of busy, then we don't actually create an opening for us to be able to hear that still small voice. Right. Having to having time to retreat is an important part of the journey. How much retreat do we really need, do you think? Do you have a any a kind of for that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I actually have found that taking a day a week, believe it or not, mm. is really really beneficial. I actually do um, every Friday night and Saturday I do Shabbos and it could be in any tradition, mm-hmm. but it is a time to just get quiet and be and not do busy, errandy kind of work in the world and not get on the computer and not go on the phone. And it is a time where I actually feel like I'm filling up my well. And when I'm not able to do Shabbos, I feel it for the rest of the week. Mm. I feel like um, my well is, is, I'm running on empty a bit. Yeah. And when I can do it, and which I normally do, 
I'm, I, I feel like I've given, I'm giving back the energy that I just put out. Mm, yeah. So it's a real gift and a blessing to take time. And, and then I find that doing a longer retreat, actually, I found that I've done some introspection on this one because I took a year and went to India and had some amazing experiences in India. And then I came back into my life and, you know, got busy doing my practice and directing Inner Source. And, and I was feeling like I wasn't having the same kind of experiences. And so then I did a retreat and I find that I need like five days to actually quiet the mind long enough to be able to allow the guidance from the higher spiritual realms to come in. Mm-hmm. So whenever we're needing something like that, there are places we can go to take that time to retreat. Yeah, yeah. I was down at Yogaville and I stayed, I had a private room, but I, it wasn't ready the first night. So I stayed in the dorms. They have these really nice dorms, you know, they're, and they're cheap. And it's such a nice place. But I was staying in the first night with, in this room with this woman who had just come back from India. And she'd been there for um, not a year, but for a, an extended period of time. And she was just craving that India, whatever you get from India, I've heard that from so many different people. And she went down to Yogaville and just to kind of get a little piece of that back. And that's a great place to visit, by the way, Yogaville down in Virginia. Yeah, and there's also a sanct. It's called Sanctuary, mm-hmm. which is a retreat retreat center. I have a lot of these references in the book. Actually. Oh, good, good places good, good, good. that people could go for retreat. And and so another byproduct of of this work is uh, our intuition is really deepened and our connection to God or Source. Can you talk about your experience on the George Washington Bridge a little bit? I don't want to give away too much in the book, but I was like, whoa, I want some of that. <laughs> Um, I had just come back from India, and I was on my way over um, to the ashram in New York City. I was staying with my parents, actually, in New Jersey when I first came back, and I was driving over the George Washington Bridge, and all of a sudden, I heard this this person talking to me, telling me, giving me information, and I got I thought the radio was on. I know I didn't have the radio on, but I thought the radio was on. I checked the radio. Nope, that was off. And then I got kind of nervous thinking that there might be somebody in the back seat. And I looked in the back seat. And there was nobody in the back seat. And then all of a sudden, I realized that this voice was coming from inside. And actually, in the beginning, it was telling me which direction to turn as I was driving into New York. And it developed into what I called a a felt sense of rightness. But it was really the opening of my intuition that happened. And I think it happened as a result of having the time to really quiet the mind and connect to my inner source. Was it a little freaky, though, for a psychotherapist to start hearing voices? I just have to ask that question. (laughs) Absolutely. I actually write about that. I got really anxious then because you know what they say about people who hear voices. Right, right. But then I realized it was actually really wonderful and positive. Yeah. And then that happens, and we have to learn to surrender to it and really trust it. And that's a practice in itself, right? It actually is. But it's actually such a gift because rather than, you know, for a lot of people who have difficulty making up their minds because they can hear both sides of every question, 
when you can go to the intuition and just connect to your heart and feel what your intuition is telling you, it allows you to make decisions so much more easily. Yeah. So it's really a gift that we develop along the journey. Right. But then you also write about discernment. And, but it, but that discernment comes so much easier when you've done the work of sort of clearing that, I don't know, the lower self. Do you call it the lower self? What do you call that? The personality. The personality. Okay. The small S self versus the capital S self. Right. And then another natural offshoot of all of this work, we, we have this desire to be of service. So right. when they reach this sort of level, do they, um, do they have to kind of come up with ideas of, of what their service might be? Or does, does that just sort of unfold naturally? I mean, how does that work with people? It's one of my favorite things to work with people on, actually. It's chapter 12 in the book that I call right livelihood. It's, it's a Buddhist term that actually means that what we're doing to earn a living is what we would be doing even if we weren't getting paid for it. So to help people, when you think about how much time and energy we spend working in our lives, how what a blessing it is, what a gift it is to be doing what your heart and soul's calling is. So really being able to connect and find what is our, each of our right livelihoods is an important part of the journey. And to be able to make that shift from being self-serving to to the, what I call the serving selves, to find ways to be giving to others, to society, to the planet. You know, helping to repair our world is really one of our most important jobs as human beings from my perspective. So how can we find, and, and it's fun because you kind of follow the cookie crumbs of a person's life. Like what are, what are the experiences that are special to that person? that allows us to have a hint as to what the right livelihood might be. Yeah, yeah. So some of those cookie crumbs, do you have any examples of some cookie crumbs? Like I always say in my life, I thought it was interesting that when I was 17, I was in the movie Grease, and that sort of happened synchronistically. And then I married my husband and his parents uh, were in the Jiffy Lube business. So there was this grease and oil, and then we we've went into took over their stores. And so this is Greece theme. <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean, God? <laughs> well, I mean, look at what you're doing in terms of your work. I how, mean, do, how does that tie in? I, I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> I mean, you're, you are greasing the way for people mm. to find all of the different wonderful programs that you offer. So they can just slide podcast. right in? <laughs> so they can just slide right in? And, and yes, and, and you're greasing the journey for people so that it becomes more clear and easier and more productive and meaningful. Maybe it's also an anointing. I like that idea, the anointing. That too, absolutely. Yeah. So we, we get to this point of spiritual connection, and uh, this doesn't mean our lives are perfect, right? I mean, we still have challenges that occur. You write in your book that your parents... I think you lost your dad right around the time you were writing the book. Well, I had lost my mom in 1990, which was oh. the inspiration for the book. Oh, that's right. Could be, yeah, yeah. That's a great story, too. I won't give that away because that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. And it's a really important message. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But then your dad, right around the time. Right. The book was. Yeah. And so did that, um, did, did you find solace in that journey as well? Having Absolutely. the book? Absolutely. Because. I think with this journey, um, and one of the 
major messages from when my mom passed away is that our loved ones are still with us even after they pass over. Right. And that's, um, I write about that as the inspiration for the book. So when my dad passed, that same awareness was clear in my being. So it was a blessing Mm -hmm. that I had had both my parents in my life. So I was grateful. That is a gift. It is a gift when you can shift that to that perspective. I know I I lost a child as well, so I I had to shift a lot of stuff, which was a big crumb, a big cookie crumb. (laughs) To learn how to grieve in healthy ways, Mm -hmm. it's really an important learning for each of us because we're all going to have to go through multiple losses along the way. So being able to learn to experience what we're feeling and allow the process to unfold so we can get to the blessings. Right of that experience in our lives. Right, because for every uh, deep pain and hurt, I think that's the bigger the blessings that, you know, we dig out the well and then we can fill it up with more water, so. Right, but if we can't allow ourselves to feel the depths, then we don't get to experience the heights either. Right, so it's it's bigger all around, right? Yeah. You say in the book, why don't more people embark on this journey? And you say the main reason is that guidance on how to find the path of self-awareness and transformation is not readily accessible, but you really lay it out in this book. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, that was my my goal is to be able to give people the path and the tools and the technologies to be able to transform the negative behavior patterns so that we can create a life that is amazing and inspiring and meaningful and fulfilling. Awesome. So where can we find the book and where can we find more information about you? So you can go to my website, which is www.abbyrosenphd, P is in Peter, H is in Honey, D is in David, phd.com. That's my website. And I have a number of video blogs on that website that talk to some of the different points that we brought up during this program. Oh, good. Uh, Give some of the tools for transformation that I give in the book, like um, the formula for communication. Communication is a really important tool for us to learn. We never learn it anywhere. So we either do it the way we were brought up or we do it the opposite if we were hurt by that. And neither of them often work. So learning healthy ways of communicating and learning to check in, I talked, one of the video blogs is on the checking in process so that we can learn to connect to our inner world of feelings and have that more accessible. And you, you, are, you have a special gift for the Happy Healthy You listeners, right? You have a special offer. I do, actually. Tell us about it. If anybody wants to email me, I would be happy to send you what I've developed for my clients is what I call the checking in card. And people have told me how great it is. They keep it in their wallets or their pocketbooks and they whip it out when they're in a situation needing to figure out what they're feeling. So I'm happy to send any of your listeners a a checking in card if they want to email me. And my email address is arosenphd at comcast.net. Okay. And we can get the book, the beautiful book, 
Lasting Transformation, A Guide to Navigating Life's Journey on Amazon and all the other. You can get it on my website, website. barnesandnoble.com. Whole Foods carries it, a number of different places. Awesome. And if you're close to the D.C., Maryland area, she has some workshops coming up and one in May specifically. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, a number of people have asked me. I've done a number of uh, programs and retreats, beach retreats on the first half of the book. And people have been asking me to do an ongoing meditation night when people can come together and learn how to meditate and be able to be in community and work um, well in, I think oftentimes being able to meditate in a group is a different experience than meditating alone. So we're going to do Wednesday night, beginning in May. So people can uh, let me know their emails and I will send information on that as well. That sounds wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Abby Rosen. Abby, my new friend, my new bestie. Thank you for um, coming on the podcast and talking about this because I just so enjoyed this book and um, I can't wait for everybody else to read it. So you guys get the book and you will be transformed. (laughs) Thanks, Abby. My pleasure. 